This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Anders Wallace, a PhD candidate in the Anthropology program at the Graduate Center. In this episode, I catch up with Neil Hernandez, who's an asylum officer at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency, part of the Department of Homeland Security. Neil earned his Ph.D. in the political science program at the Graduate Center. In this episode, he tells us about the rewards of blending practice and theory in public administration, the rewards of making a difference in people's lives by understanding and affecting policy implementation, and the different ways that qualitative research skills he gained during his Ph.D. have helped him succeed and thrive in his role at the agency. My name is Neil Hernandez, and I'm an asylum officer at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. And at the risk of sounding like a wet blanket, I am required to tell you as a federal employee that anything I say today is my personal opinion, and only my opinion, that it doesn't represent the views of the U.S. government, the Department of Homeland Security, or my current agency. So can you tell me a bit about how you came to do this work? So I I spent, uh, as a doctoral student here at the Graduate Center, I spent uh, quite a fair amount of time doing research and writing Mm -hmm. as part of my dissertation. And my dissertation focused on the uh, immigration system. And so after spending a considerable amount of time looking at how the immigration system was reorganized uh, in the early to about the middle of the 20th century, I had a good grounding on how the immigration system worked. And what what uh, that created in me was some questions about how the system worked today. And this department where you studied was political science? or Yes, I graduated from the political science program. My concentration was public policy, and in my minor was American politics. And my, my research agenda and my interest is the study of how public agencies are designed and reorganized to affect their performance and how they're influenced by politics to affect their performance as well. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. So you were interested then in how it had changed in the last half century in the recent implementation of immigration reforms? Yes, because I had spent so much time in the early part of the 20th century, I had a lot of curiosity about the latter part of the 20th century and and today. And so that created in, in me an interest in wanting to see how the immigration system evolved further, but not only from a theoretical perspective, but more from a practical perspective. Mm-hmm. One of the recurring themes that I found in my research was that people were coming to the United States during the early part of the 20th century and about the midway point of the 20th century mm-hmm. because they were being persecuted in other countries. And so that also created an interest of me to say, hey, what part of the immigration system today handles cases where people are coming because they're fleeing persecution. Mm. And naturally, the asylum program jumped out at me, and, yeah. and they created an interest in me to, to want to join. That's so interesting, and this is so relevant nowadays with the number of refugees around the world. These are such important issues to be engaged with. It must be very satisfying. It is. It's a it's a incredibly rewarding experience to be able to grant protection to somebody who would otherwise return to their country and face persecution. Mm-hmm. I think, assuming they qualify, of course, hands down, it's one of the most rewarding feelings about this job. Right. Can you tell me a bit more about your academic background? Prior to enrolling in the PhD program, I was a practitioner. So I worked in local and municipal government. Mm-hmm. And when I worked in local and municipal government, I had an interest in complementing the practice of public administration with 
the theory of public administration. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been, since about that time, been migrating, if you will, between being a practitioner and being an academic. Because while I was here pursuing my doctoral studies, I was actually working full-time at CUNY's Hostess Community College as a distinguished lecturer. So wow. I worked while going to school as a professor over at, the, at Hostess Community College. I taught public policy and administration as well as criminal justice. Wow. And so I had the opportunity to really complement the idea that theory informs practice and practice informs theory. And so when I worked as a practitioner, I'd benefit from the theoretical and use it in the application of, of the practice of public administration. Mm-hmm. And when I came to academia as a student here and as a professor at Hostess Community College, mm-hmm. I was able to use some of the practice to give the students more of a, a, a real-life perspective of things that were happening in public administration, though at the same time concretizing for them that the theoretical is equally important and just as important for their involvement, whether it be as public administrators or as academics. And so um, I take even today the theories that I learned and I use them to better understand my work. You suggested earlier you have a strong passion for this helping of, of people who are in peril and marginalized, that this drew you back to government in the sense of saying you could make a difference for these people's lives by affecting policy. Is that fair? I think it's a combination. Yeah. For, uh, for me, uh, certainly... Having had that experience learning about the immigration system and understanding how the system worked in the periods that I looked at, the immigration system, based on my research, wasn't as responsive to people facing persecution. We didn't have a formal asylum program. This was most evident in my second case study when Jews were fleeing Nazi Germany. And the United States, as you know, didn't have a refugee program. It didn't have a formal refugee program, a formal asylum program for those that were here in the United States. And so naturally that research sparked an interest in me of understanding, well, how did our asylum and refugee programs evolve? More particularly, how did the asylum program evolve uh, to help those that were here in the United States? And so I, I think that's where the interest lies. But yeah. At some point in the future, I could see myself returning to academia using some of my practical experiences that I've learned in this position mm-hmm. and using it to advance some of my theoretical interests in political science. You were working in government before coming to academia. Uh, was the academic lifestyle a big shift from what you had seen so far working in, in government up to that point? To some extent, it was. The speed of academia is much more conducive to research mm-hmm. and writing. And in government, at least when I worked in the municipal government just before, uh, well, actually, while I was here in the PhD program, I had to take a time out because I had been appointed as an agency head in the Bloomberg administration. Oh, wow. I ran the city's juvenile detention system. So I took a, I took a time out from, from studying, yeah. did that job for eight years, and then uh, transitioned back to, to academia as a full-time student. And so... That took an adjustment. Mm-hmm. The speed, as I mentioned, was different. The school had changed in terms of uh, technology had become more prominent. Mm-hmm. There had been some some involvement in the theories that I was looking at, some new research. And so it was a learning curve to appreciate how my field in public policy and American politics, or field, I should say, had evolved. Yeah. So that took some getting used to. But I, I didn't miss the 24-hour nature of the position that I did because I had done it for eight years and coming to academia was a nice opportunity to also recharge those batteries that had been worn out. And now you're back on the other side. Is yes. that less stressful now, the job you have? It's a different kind of stress because you have the lives of people that are being decided by you uh, in terms of whether they're going to be afforded protection of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So I think that carries a fair amount of stress. But like I said, when you can 
extend them the protection of the government. I don't think there's a better feeling than doing that. Can you tell me more about your position and what it involved? Uh, I love that question. So let me start backwards. As an asylum officer, I am adjudicating asylum cases. And so what that means is that on a typical day, uh, I interview applicants who are seeking asylum. And so typically speaking, my mornings are interviewing those applicants. Mm -hmm. And then my afternoons are spent making decisions about their cases, writing those, doing research about their cases, and then writing those cases yeah. and making a decision. So that that's a typical day. What's not typical is what happens in between, and that is that I meet people from all parts of the world. I get a chance to learn about different political systems through them yeah. because they may be facing political persecution, they may be facing religious persecution and other types of persecution. So I learn about other countries. Mm. And then I think one of the more challenging parts of the job is they've suffered some kind of persecution, and so you're listening to trauma regularly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so one has to be sensitive about how one asks about trauma. One has to be sensitive about how one also deals with secondary trauma as well, because at the end of the day, I haven't lived what they've lived, but I've had some opportunity to get the secondhand effect, if you will, of their experiences. And that can be challenging mm -hmm. as well. I like that I don't have to manage. And the reason I like that is because I can focus on the person mm -hmm. and not on the person that I'm interviewing and not on the responsibility of managing employees. And one of the reasons that I also took the position was it would give me an opportunity to interview people. And I'm getting that. So much like a researcher, we like interviewing people if we, if we do qualitative work. Yeah. And being able to interview people, though I'm not doing research while I'm in the office, of course, it's an opportunity to fine-tune those skills of researching people, asking pertinent questions, building rapport with applicants. And I think those things become transferable for anybody who at some point, like me, would return to academia and engage in qualitative research. And I can also see that benefiting teaching and mentoring and all of these relational sides of academia. Are there other things that happen in a typical day that would come up? What's not typical is the stories that you hear. I get a chance to read the stock documents that they've submitted in support of their case. I get a chance to read the applications that they've submitted. I research and my colleagues research the country conditions of the countries that they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of information. But then there's that point where you are now one-on-one -on -one with the person, you've got to build rapport, you've got to convince that person in a matter of seconds and maybe minutes to trust you to tell you their story and to get them to open up. I think my colleagues who work in the office at the New York Asylum Office do this masterfully. I don't include myself in that category. I've just completed a year. What they do masterfully is get people to trust them so that they tell their story. Mm. And in telling their story, my colleagues are able to determine whether those applicants qualify for asylum. Mm. And I think what's very unique about the skill set that an asylum officer has is we're representing the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Many of the applicants have had opportunities that haven't been very positive with their governments. So you have to break that barrier in a very art-like way to be able to get the person to trust you. I'm very happy that I took the position as an asylum officer for many reasons. One of those reasons is being able to refine the interviewing skill. Uh, I can't say that I've mastered them. I think I'm more competent, but I've been very lucky with the colleagues that I have, the New York Asylum Office in particular, which I did my research before I, I accepted the, the, the job there. It's very collegial, and in many ways, it's kind of like an academic environment in that it's so collegial. So colleagues are constantly supporting one another, uh, helping each other to refine skills. We, of course, have a robust training program as well. So I think those things have helped. In the past, I had interviewing skills. 
I had been previously an assistant district attorney. I was a prosecutor. Yeah. So I had experience as a professional interviewing people and also interviewing people in court. But that skill is far different. Right. That skill was in an adversarial environment. You can ask leading questions. You can be very pointed with your questions. Mm-hmm. And this is totally different. Mm. It's non-adversarial. It's open-ended questions primarily. And you have to get at somebody to open up. Here you want the person to open up to tell you their story of persecution. And that is more of an art yeah. than a science. What about some of the challenges? Well, you mentioned it can be tough to get the story because people may have adverse experiences, trauma, and that. Are there other aspects of the job that you find frustrating or anything else that, that you wish were different than it is? <laughs> I think there's two challenges. One, the bigger one, and then one, a smaller one, and that the smaller one could be one that other students and alumni who I hope are listening to the podcast would consider as not a deal breaker to coming to work in the asylum office. Mm-hmm. So the, the bigger challenge is the converse of what the reward is. So the bigger challenge is when you can't extend somebody the protection of the U.S. government because they have not qualified for it under the law. That I think can be challenging because you're denying somebody the opportunity to have protection. Of course, you should know procedurally they have an opportunity to then go to the immigration court and try to get asylum at the immigration court. But I think that could be challenging. And it at times has been challenging for me to say to have to say no. Yeah. On a smaller scale, I think the challenge that I face, and this is partly coming from academia, right, because I mentioned to you earlier where the pace is a little slower. Mm-hmm. So now I'm returning to government, this time the federal government, the pace is faster. Mm-hmm. And one has to get used to a quicker pace. And that was uh, a challenge for me at the beginning. You know, working at like you working on a dissertation, we get the opportunity to do it at a pace that is, I wouldn't say slow, but a little bit leisurely at times where you have the chance to research things, look at other sources, editing your dissertation now, which as I mentioned is a great place to be. So we have, we have the benefit of more time here. The work is fast and you have to move very quickly Mm. and it doesn't compromise any of the efficiency or effectiveness or the substance of the program, but you do have to work faster and that was an adjustment Mm. and and a challenge, particularly at the beginning. I feel far more comfortable now, but I had the benefit of great support from the people that I work with and the training that I received from the agency because we have a uh, six-week academy that we attend where we're instructed on how to do the job, which I, I hope your listeners will consider. You want to elicit people's stories and get the account, but I assume there's also a pace, a quota or whatnot that, that you have to get through a certain number of applications. In, in practical terms, if you're if I'm interviewing my first case, and I'm investing more time because I need to, like you said, get the story. In practical terms, it delays me for my second case, mm-hmm. which there's an applicant waiting for me. So that at times forces me to ask more focused questions, mm-hmm. and it just refines my interviewing skills. Yeah. And, and none of us ever, as I, as I see it, compromise on getting the story in its entirety. Mm-hmm. It just forces us to do it faster. That's something that takes an adjustment. Because you have to develop the skill, you have to then develop the confidence in that skill, and then you have to execute and do it rather quickly. Are there ways that finishing your PhD has benefited you in your career? Yes, in my in my current position, the hands down the two things that I think uh, finishing my PhD helped me is one is as a researcher, I have to understand and learn about the country conditions of the places where the applicants come from. And I have to do that 
quickly. Mm-hmm. And you know the world is a dynamic place that is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So my research skills helps me to do that quickly and helps me to look at different sources. Mm-hmm. In addition to the many sources that, that are provided to us, I think my training allows me to have a more expansive view. Mm-hmm. So I take time to look at uh, other sources that may not necessarily be readily available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the other skill that the, that the PhD program helped me with is how government agencies may work in other places. So I have a nice, as I see it, a nice starting point about how other police agencies, mm-hmm. other human service agencies, uh, other bureaucracies and all work in other countries. And that gives me a good place on which to ask questions about somebody who's faced persecution by another government. Are there any skills or abilities that you would recommend current GC students might hone or learn or acquire that could help them work in a field like yours? Sure. I think the because interviewing is so important, as we, we've touched on today, and getting the story from the applicant is critical. I think the any opportunity that a, that a student has here or, or alumni who are in the job market or who are thinking about transitioning from their current position to something like asylum, mm-hmm. I think interviewing skills is something to, to continue to refine. It's in a, it, I don't think one ever masters it. Mm-hmm. I think one can reach some level of competency, mm-hmm. but I think it's something that every opportunity you get to fine-tune that and learn mm-hmm. would be helpful. When I was here, I had the chance to take a qualitative course and learn some of the theory about just broadly interviewing. And then I also had the chance working with one of my professors, uh, Francis Fox Piven, to actually do some field work and interview some people as part of a paper that I had completed for her class. Mm-hmm. So I had that opportunity. But any chance that any students have here to take a course on interviewing as part of qualitative techniques in any one of the programs that are here, in my opinion, and also to do field work, mm-hmm. whether it be as part of a research paper or one's dissertation or even working in some kind of a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. during a summer or during a semester, I think you grab that. And also, you know, there's the theories great, there's getting the practices great, but we all bring a certain amount of experience on how to connect with people, mm-hmm. how to relate to them, how to ask questions. And, and that factor, our own individual self, which we all know well for ourselves, that's also an important element that people shouldn't forget. We each of us have a good starting point. That's an empowering perspective. I love that. Is there anything you miss about academia? To some extent, I miss being able to advance my research agenda on a full-time basis. Mm. I, I do some of it now on a part-time basis. I, I, attend, I attended a conference uh, last year. I'm working on writing a paper for a journal as mm-hmm. well. So it, that's why I say to some extent, I, I get to do some of the research agenda on a limited basis. And then my office, as I mentioned before, it's quite an intellectually stimulating place. Mm. I'm currently with another colleague through the support of our director. We've designed and are coordinating an immigration policy history course. I'll be teaching one of the classes. Several of my other colleagues are also teaching some of the classes. We've got academics from CUNY coming to teach classes. We've got historians from the agency coming to teach classes. And so I get to dabble a little bit, academically speaking, even in my current position. So... That's why I say I, I miss it to a limited extent, but certainly, as I as I mentioned before, there is a time when I'll leave the practice of public administration, return to academia, so I could work on my research agenda on a full-time basis. And that might be surprising to people listening, that you have the opportunity to keep doing research as well as to really develop this course in-house for staff. Do you feel well-supported in that, or is it something you really have to work out of your own passion 
on top of the work you're already doing. The director, Sue Roffer, has been incredibly supportive. She actually created within uh, the office a university-type program where staff can create classes that any staff member in the office can take. Wow. And so this is a, a natural extension of something that she created. And so I, I find that she's been incredibly supportive. The office is intellectually stimulating, and I'm happy to be able to bring with my colleagues, because uh, there's a group of us doing this, being able to bring a course that's going to give people who practice immigration some of the theoretical and the historical aspects of, of immigration. That's going to be fun. That's very cool. Are there benefits or, or resources here at GC that you wish you used more of looking back that you know would have benefited you or you would have liked to have done while you were here in hindsight? If I had some more time when I was here, I would have loved to have looked for more classes, more qualitative classes in other programs. Mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to continue to build that foundation for interviewing, mm-hmm. right? I found, but I did have, I did, of the time that I did have, I was dabbling in other courses that were in immigration that were offered from other programs. So although I was in the political science program, I think uh, any one of the students uh, who are here in any one of the programs who have an interest in immigration, I think the sociology department Mm-hmm. has offered some excellent uh, um, events around immigration. And um, they also have some leading experts in immigration, like John Mollenkoff and Richard Alba and Nancy Foner, Robert Smith. And so I think that's something that people should take advantage of. Also, I consider the students, my former colleagues, heavy hitters as well in immigration. There's an immigration work group that is student-run, student-led, that has very dynamic programs for evolving scholars to present their work mm-hmm. at, at uh, full and mini conferences. And in the immigration working group, which I was a member of when I was here, it also sponsors workshops. So you can bring in a paper, you can workshop a paper. And I think that's something that, if you're interested in immigration, that's something to really take advantage of while you're here. There's so many resources in-house, but potentially outside of a student's department that they could benefit from engaging with, uh, whether it be working groups or other courses in other departments. Are there other challenges that you see other graduate students facing that you feel students would benefit from from learning and practicing while they're students, looking ahead to potentially taking a non-academic position? Because I would love to see more of my uh, students and my former colleagues from the Graduate Center and current alumni become asylum officers uh, and work in the immigration system. It doesn't have to be as an asylum officer, but work in the immigration system. I, I, I wouldn't pretend to advise them how to go about doing their research and their writing. I think, uh, just broadly speaking, you uh, you work with your committee. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have John Molenkoff, John Torpy, and Andrew Polsky to be my uh, my supervisor and, and, and uh, dissertation committee members, respectively, and I just got incredible support from them. Yeah. But I would say while you're doing that, if you have an inkling, even if it's just an inkling, it wanting to engage in the practice of public administration, particularly immigration, start to think about how to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Think about, um, if possible, an internship with mm-hmm. a government agency. Think about working for a nonprofit organization, perhaps during the summer. Mm-hmm. And start going on uh, usajobs.gov. You can create searches for positions that you want and start looking at some of the postings to be able to qualify. I would like to impress on current students and also alumni that, that may be exploring the job market or may in the future explore the job market. 
one of the basic ways to qualify is having a master's or a PhD mm-hmm. as an asylum officer. And then also there's a immigration analyst position in the agency that also does important work. The immigration analyst in the office provides key support on the processing of application of uh, asylum applications. The analyst actually helps the applicant by receiving the applicant's information to prepare their application, reviews the application, makes sure there's jurisdiction, has interactions with applicants, with, uh, with attorneys, and actually does one of the more important functions in the office. That immigration analyst has the opportunity also to present the decision to the applicant. Sometimes, as we discussed, that decision is positive, and sometimes it's not so positive. And that's an awesome responsibility that an immigration analyst has. And students or alumni who are interested in that position or the asylum officer can qualify not just based on having one year of experience working in an immigration setting or in immigration work, but also by having their completed their master's or their PhD. How do students apply for this job? So the starting point, which is the way I did it, was usajobs.gov. And literally the way I did it was you create an account, you create a search specific to the kind of jobs you want or the position you want, and then I, it would get daily emails and uh, look at what's available. And then it's when I saw the asylum position, I applied. What I had been doing with, with Jenny Furlong, the director of the Office of Career Services and Planning, is sending her the postings along with uh, the chief of staff of my office who's been supportive of this effort of doing outreach here, Laurie Heinrich, to provide this office with postings so that students could see that if they haven't had a chance, it'd be on usajobs.gov. And you mentioned internships. Are there internships that students would be able to take? The federal government has internships and actually professional development programs as well. Okay. So I think uh, one that was popu- that's popular and that I know students apply for here is the Presidential Management Fellows. Yes. And then there's others that one can explore to be able to segue from that program to the position of asylum officer. Mm-hmm. But a more direct route is the one that we're discussing, and that mm-hmm. is applying directly and having either the one-year experience in, in, broadly speaking, in immigration or having that master's or that PhD to be able to qualify. Very interesting. Are there other other things that you'd like to share with our listeners or anything else that comes to mind in this conversation? It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I appreciate the invitation. I think in closing, I'd just like to let your listeners know that if they have any questions, if they want to talk to me, I'm easily reachable. They can contact me by by going to my website, which is my name, neilhernandez.com, and I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody who's a current student or an alum who's thinking of exploring the job market, and I'd be happy to answer any questions for them or tell them about some of my experiences. That does it for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Neil for coming on the show to share his experiences in government and public administration with our listeners. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Aloud, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is careerplan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.